If you're making a game and you want to make reviewers' lives a lot easier, you got to do two things. First, you have to make the game completely amazing and then put wonder in the title. Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the wonder to you. Today we're talking about Super Mario Wonder, a wonderful <clears throat> new 2D Mario game for the Nintendo Switch that's so good we can't wait to tell you all about it. So grab a hallucinogenic flower and let's get into it. I'm Kirk Hamilton. I'm Maddie Myers. And I'm Jason Schreier. Hello. Hey. Hello. Hello. It's uh, us. Hello. Once again. It's so wonderful to mm-hmm. see you. We are back. Mm-hmm. The band is back together. That's Did you guys right. Have you guys listened to the new Blink-182 album? Speaking Not of yet. bands getting back I together. You I haven't. You've been on me to listen it. to it. It's so good. So many <laughs> I bangers. I bet it is. I bet it is. I, I mean, I'm, no I'm a bigger pop punk fan than you two. <laughs> but like... Uh, I'm, I'm down for some Blink-182 now and again, though. Well, yeah, so this... Uh, just the, like This is the first album with... Tom DeLonge, who left the band for a while in like a decade. And that was like, they announced last year Tom DeLonge is coming back. It was like the biggest news for millennials since they shut wow. down AOL Instant Messenger. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it's just like Axe coming back to Billions. Exactly the same. Similar, <laughs> except Axelrod. more nostalgia. More nostalgia. No, I'm, I'm talking sense. about something important to me, but yeah. <laughs> That's true. Tom DeLonge has some pretty cool guitar parts. My guitar he teacher does. was showing me some of their parts, and they, you know, Blink 182 kind of yeah, gets a bad rap among musicians. But so. he writes some pretty cool stuff. Like, there's a lot of, you know, it's pretty simple, a lot of power chord mm-hmm. stuff, but he moves some of those harmonies around and does these like low voicings that are actually pretty cool in some of their songs. So, respect yeah. to Blink 182. And writing a catchy pop song is so difficult to do that I feel like no one should ever judge it. Like, if a song's ever gotten cut in your head, you gotta just. <laughs> pay a compliment because it's, it's yeah, incredible a good band. he's a he's a master at like these very simple riffs that are just yep. really catchy and, yeah. and fun to listen to that's what i'm saying and kind of like more interesting than you would think you just think. hearing yeah. them. like learning them on guitar it's like oh this is cool he's kind of a, a uh-huh. technician in his way of the instrument mm-hmm. well there's this song there's this one song called turpentine that is friggin' fantastic you guys should listen to it great uh, it's a good so name for a song. We're a music podcast now. Welcome to Strong Songs. Yeah. So if you want to, <laughs> you want to support our uh, digressions about pop punk bands and guitar technique, well, you can become a member of Maximum Fun, and uh, you'll support our show if you do that as well. You'll support the Maximum Fun Network, which is always a cool thing to do. We love the Maximum Fun Network. Mm-hmm. They and it's a co-op a, a now. Worker-owned worker co-op owned. network that uh, have a ton of different shows. All the shows are owned by the creators, and it's really just a kind of fantastic model and a good uh, vision for a better future. So Maximum Fun rules, and you can become a member at MaximumFun.org slash join. And, of course, that also is the only way that any of us make money off of this show. <laughs> so you are directly supporting the creation of Triple Click. And if you become a member, you will get access to monthly bonus episodes, beans casts, as we usually call them, at least when they're spoilers and we're spilling the beans, but all kinds of different things. We recently did a really fun episode about The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. We've been watching some movies. We talked about AI recently, talked about a bunch of games. And this month, we're going to be talking about The Hunt for Best October. Which is going to remain a mystery, I think, to anyone who is not a member. If you want to know what it is, you're just going to have to listen. It's going to be out, I think, early next week. It is going to be good. We haven't recorded it yet, but it's going to be really good. We can guarantee it's going to be good. We are excited. The Hunt for Best October coming up. So that's MaximumFun.org slash join. Become a member. Support independent media. Support Triple Click. We love you all. 
uh, and uh, we appreciate your support. All right. We're talking about a video game today that I'm very excited to talk about. Jason, why don't you take us away? Yeah, well, it's actually fitting that I started this show by talking about music, because today we're talking about a music game called Super Mario <laughs> Wonder. A um, hot new rhythm game. Hot kinda, new rhythm kinda. game. I mean, it is a rhythm game, essentially. I mean, Super Mario Wonder is, of course, the newest Mario game from Nintendo. It's a 2D Mario game, the first one of those in a long time. Um, really, more than a decade. And the last one, I believe, was New Super Mario. Mario Brothers U uh, on mm-hmm. the Wii U. Uh, I believe that was wow. 2012. And yeah, that whole, there was Nintendo, just a little bit of history here. Of course, Super Mario started as a 2D platforming series. There's some really, really good ones. Three of them on the NES and then Super Mario World on the SNES was really just the culmination of all that and all the cool ideas for 2D Mario. But in recent years, they've been going with the new Super Mario Brothers series, which is a little bit controversial. I mean, I think they're still good mm-hmm. platformers, but they're kind of generic. The visuals aren't everybody's favorites. Some some issues there. But now we're, we're coming back with a vengeance. Super Mario Brothers Wonder, new 2D Mario game, feels different than anything they've done before, looks different than, than anything they've done before. Still got that Mario feel, but has... Uh, uh, a bit of a brighter, more cartoony, more heavily animated aesthetic. And we're going to break it down. We're going to talk about this game. We've all been playing it. We've all been playing it on codes from Nintendo. Um, I think we all <laughs> spent the whole weekend playing it. But yeah, let's yeah. go around. Let's start <laughs> off just by talking about some initial impressions. Maddie, you want to go first? How much sure. have you played and what are your quick initial thoughts? Uh, my quick initial thoughts are it's amazing. I love it. It's so cute. It fills me with warm, fuzzy feelings. I, I don't think I've played as much as you two had a busy weekend, which is a real tragedy because this game is so joyful and just makes you feel amazing every time you play it. There's just nothing like the movement patterns of a Mario game. But the actual part of the game that struck me most is just the little bespoke animations for each character and the facial expressions and how much detail there is. I mean, all of us obviously grew up playing 2D Mario. I remember thinking how cute Mario was when he would crouch down or whatever and and go into a pipe and make himself small or big. Like those things were so exciting. But now having so much more detail in the visuals for little Princess Peach. And there's the elephant power-up that we're going to get to. And she's so freaking adorable as a little elephant. And her little walk animation is so cute. You just, I don't know, it just really adds something to the game. It's not even, I know we're going to talk about all the other, like, you know, gameplay <laughs> aspects here. But this game looks Animations and presentation so are a huge part of it. Good. It just looks so, so good. And I think that's something that really helps you want to stick with a game. It, it starts out pretty easy, but I know it gets difficult at the end because <laughs> it's a 2D Mario. It's going to start getting harder. And and, it, and you want to actually spend more time like playing and replaying these levels over and over again. And the way to do that is to have it look freaking amazing. So th- those are my first impressions of Mario Wonder is wonderment. Wonderment. <laughs> Kirk, what about you? So yeah, I'm up to, I think, World 5. I can't remember which world I am. I think it's World 4 or 5. So somewhere around halfway through the game, maybe a little past the halfway point. Yeah, I'm in love with this game. It's like uh, someone walks up to you with a magic hat 
and they're smiling and they just sit you down and they just start pulling incredible things out of their hat. And then 30 minutes later, they just keep pulling more and more amazing things out of their hat. And it it never ends. And you're like, how much stuff can be in the hat? And they just keep going and going and going. That's sort of what it feels like to play this game. It's just this incredibly joyful, incredibly creative endlessly interesting experience where no five minutes uh, no five minute chunk of playing the game is the same as the last five minutes that you had so you can just play for 45 minutes which is kind of how I've been playing it Mm -hmm. and and you're going to have a bunch of really amazing experiences I laugh so much at this game there are so many sequences especially the uh, wonder seed wonder flower I should say sequences (laughs) where I'm just cracking up because something so outlandish and creative and funny is happening and um yeah i mean i just i love this game everything about it is so joyful i've primarily been playing as mario uh you can play of course as the whole cast mm-hmm. of mario I'm playing as Peach. characters <laughs> yes and um they all have their own you know different animations and look slightly different uh, as they move through the game but i've been playing as mario and what i notice about it is he's always laughing there are so many new lines i believe by the new mario voice actor and even when he dies he'll be like oh no and he kind of laughs like when he dies <laughs> he's like falling to his death and he's laughing which i think gives a good sense of just how um ebullient and joyful this game is so yeah i'm over the moon about it i love it so much it's funny you say that because like i feel like when someone is falling to their death and laughing they're usually a james bond villain they're still a bomb that you have to disarm. yeah you'll never escape mr bond it's the um, laugh of the immortal being that is mario yeah, yeah i guess exactly. that's true that. mario knows he'll be back and death yeah. is comedy to him <laughs> Um, yeah, okay. So I am, uh, I'm on, I think world three. It's kind of, it's hard to, this isn't really a linear game because there's like a big kind of hub world and then there's spokes on it. And I guess I'm up to the third spoke. So a little bit, um, not quite as far as you Kirk, but I feel the same way as you. It's a pure joy to play. Um, I think that the wonder seeds to kind of explain or the wonder flowers to kind of explain a little bit about what you're talking about. So every platforming level, um, has kind of its own traditional platforming and then there's some gimmicks involved like in one level for example um the uh when you jump uh, a bunch of creatures jump with you and you have to kind of figure out how to navigate that so maybe you jump and then you duck under them as they're they're jumping in the air or maybe you use you manipulate their jumps to break blocks above them and so on and so forth and then there's the twist of the wonder flower and when you get the wonder (laughs) flower which is this kind of like trippy looking flower object that you can find hidden in uh, a a bunch of the levels um, when you get that the music goes crazy and everything gets trippy and the world transforms in some way usually related to the gimmick uh, that's involved there and so I absolutely lost it in the second level of this game. So about 10 minutes into the game, (laughs) you are playing on the second level. It's called Piranha Plants on Parade. And just to give you everybody out there who hasn't played this yet, an example of what the Wonder Flowers do, when when you get to this level, it's just kind of like basic jumping piranha plants everywhere kind of platformer level. You've seen them before in previous Mario games. Then you get to the Wonder Flower and you jump on it and then it just kind of explodes into song and the piranha plants start singing. <laughs> yeah, and, then singing. The, and then you notice the trees in the background are singing too. And it becomes this whole musical section and I, I just lost it. I was just cracking up at my switch for a solid five minutes at this, yeah, that was incredible. At this portion really of the good. game. I was just like, wow, this is going to be 
delightful. And so, yeah, those are really um, excellent. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just really love it. And it's surprisingly challenging, not just as it gets further into the game. In fact, I would argue that it doesn't really get challenging based on further uh, how far you go, but um, kind of off to the sides, you'll find these like super tough challenge levels. There's mm-hmm. an entire special world that has its own big challenges that are really, really tough to do. And then also um, being a completionist and collecting all the coins in each game, the big you, you have these big purple coins that you can collect each level, or most of the levels have three of them. That's a whole challenge. And then these little optional kind of badge challenges. There's a whole badge system in this game that we'll get to in a little bit. But yeah, I, I just love it as a package, as a 2D Mario game. And I think I've been thinking a lot about how it kind of works in conversation with 3D Mario games, with Super Mario Odyssey specifically, because they're so different, um, despite just being both Mario games. One of them feels like more of an adventure, and the other one feels like more of a rhythm game. Um, Kirk, you've played the furthest. What has been kind of your your thought of the, the moment-to-moment gameplay of this game and kind of whether how it compares to 3D Mario's or how it compares to your own 2D platforming experience, what's your take? I think that the 2D Mario games feel more like a laboratory of design ideas to me because there's a little bit less in between me as a player and whatever idea is being explored in the level. Where in a 3D Mario, there's this big world to move through, especially in Odyssey, the most recent one, where there's a lot of just space to move through and kind of messing around to do. And then you'll find a little challenge with a discrete idea, but there's just a little bit more, it's a little more diffuse. Where in these games, you start the level, boom, here's the idea, you know? Like you said, you jump, the enemies jump. Okay, that's the idea for this level. And then because of the Wonder Flowers, they always remix the idea into a whole new idea that's at times so outlandish. I mean, they play with scale. Like, it really goes beyond just, oh, here's a funny twist. And, like, here is a full, wild set piece with huge things crashing through the level and the the laws of physics being rewritten in hilarious ways, all based around this, like, 100x version of the core idea. So you're always engaged with those ideas, and each level kind of feels that way. So I just feel like I'm in a really direct loop with the game and its constant ideas. And if you go back to the idea of this guy pulling stuff out of a hat, it's like just me and him. Like, he's like right in my face, making direct eye contact. Like, there's no getting away from it. Um, which I guess that sounds kind of like a that would be stressful, but this is not. This is wonderful. No, it's so good. I, I'm actually, you know, I've always liked the 3D games better. I think, or found myself drawn to them more just because I like that more relaxed, diffuse experience. And I've never found a 2D game that I've liked as much as this one. This is the most fun I've ever had with 2D Mario. Um, I'm not great at 2D Mario. I didn't grow up playing these games. So I find that the float and the bounce of Mario's movement eludes me somewhat. And there's also a fairly complex moveset at this point, um, both in the 3D and in the 2D games, where like wall jumping and ducking Mm -hmm. and kind of these, these different maneuvers that experienced players can pull off, they kind of elude me, Jason. And I'll never forget watching you play Super Mario World and realizing what someone who's extremely well-versed in that game can do compared to the way I play it, which is like, jump, jump. It's a little like watching me play StarCraft 2 and watching myself just move the mouse slowly around on the screen and realize that we're playing very different games. So anyways, I really am finding this game 
Yeah, it's it's letting me in in a way. I think that 2D Mario hasn't in the past. That's for a variety of reasons. The difficulty modifiers that you can add, we can talk about that maybe in detail in a minute. And the mm-hmm. fact that there's no timer, which is something I've talked about before, but that has always kind of stressed me out a little bit in the older 2D games. And something I really like about the 3D games is you can just walk around and you know see the sights and do what you want. And there's no timer in this game as well, except in some sections when they want to put a time crunch on you. But you can just walk around the level and experiment. And um, I really like that, too. Mm. Yeah. It actually kind of reminds me of what I like about Kirby games. I realized that as you were talking, Kirk, that some yeah, of the no, best it feels of like a Kirby game, game at times. Reminds mm-hmm. me it felt of like Planet, Planet Robobot. Robobot. Yeah, and and some of the other Kirby games that I I won't make you guys play, but Planet Robobot I did make you play that one time I want to bet three years ago, two years ago, something like that. Uh, And part of that is because of the badge system, which we haven't really gotten into yet, but I I guess I may as well here. So at the outset of each level, you can select a badge. You're earning badges throughout. And and by the point I'm at, I guess I'm in world two. I don't know. I'm at the mountain. (laughs) Uh, I have several badges. And so there's some stiff competition. I think there's 24 in total, a couple dozen in total. And I I have like 10 or so that I can choose between. And some of them, uh, they affect the whole level. You can change out your badge if you die or if you quit the level. Uh, But it's kind of like choosing your Kirby power up for the whole level. Like in certain levels of Kirby, it, it prioritizes a specific power. And this game is similar. Like in some levels of Kirby, you really want to have the fire sword. It's going to be useful to have that, or it's going to be useful to have like rock powers. This is the same way. Like there's certain levels where having this, this badge where you have a flo- big floaty hat that you're like, holding over your head and it's kind of like a parachute and you can float around or other levels where there's there's a badge that really makes your wall jump clingier and and makes it easier to do the kind of skidding off of a wall and and jumping up on top of something Uh, it makes it much easier to do and there are several other movement ones that alter your jump slightly that i'm sure are beneficial to other levels too but much like kirk i i guess i'm probably between kirk and jason here i'm not like a mario supernova i'm okay at a 2d mario and i'm sure that was just years and years of of only having 2d mario games in elementary school and just trying to get good at them so i'm okay at them but i do appreciate some of these badges and sometimes i'll be playing a level i'll be like Oh, no, I know the badge I need for this one. Mm -hmm. Let me restart this with a different badge and then I'm slaying. Uh, But some of the badges are just pure fun. Like the one that adds different question mark blocks or or exclamation mark blocks where it's just like, all right, let me just see what you want to throw at me. It's just a bunch of different stuff you can get in the level. And it's just for fun. I mean, I don't know what else that would would be four. Mm-hmm. And, and that's delightful to have a, a gimmick in a game that's like, and this is just going to make the level fun in a different way. That owns. <laughs> yeah, the there's one There's one that turns you into a spring and you just bounce and you can't control where you're bouncing or when you're Amazing. bouncing. You just move and you bounce and it seems like a fun little challenge modifier. And then, yeah, I mean, the badges... You can write lead to sort of player-directed challenges. Of course, yeah. One of the things that's brilliant about the badge system is that there are all these different levels throughout the game that are these badge challenges that, yep. like... Um, require you to use that badge and then you have to do a level that is designed around that badge. My favorites so far um, have been like the wall climbing one where you have to do these really cool maneuvers. There's one that's like super, super tough in the special area um, that is really, really fun. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, just like a whole bunch of like really fun, interesting challenges. I think, Kirk, your point about it being a grab bag is a salient one because it does feel like they're just pulling constant crazy ideas out at you and just throwing them and saying, enjoy, like we're, we had a blast making this game, so you're going to have a blast playing it. Um, I think that the difference between 2D and 3D Mario games for me is kind of related to the timer in that I think 3D Mario games feel more like, hey, you're going on this adventure, you're off on the, in this world, we want you to explore and, and find all these nooks and crannies and secrets, and Odyssey was the purest expression of that with the moons where there were like 900 some moons and it was just a very delightful to figure out how they were hidden where they were hidden just kind of uh, take advantage of all the of of this world's kind of like secrets and and figure out what you can find in all these different stages whereas uh mario wonder and 2d mario games in general feel a little bit more like you're playing a song and here's this two minute song you are going to make your way through this thing there's a rhythm to it you jump and you dash and you hit the button to the beat and sometimes it's literally a song when like the blocks are disappearing in tune to the music or appearing Mm. in tune to the music um but in general it just feels more like you're playing this elaborate musical instrument and just kind of getting lost in in the joy of it all kirk once wrote for kachaku an article about how games are just like are are essentially music playing a game is essentially playing music and there's nothing that's more of a pure distillation of that than a game like Super Mario Wonder. Mm-hmm. And 2D Mario generally. Yeah, I mean, this is a game where when you do the ground pound in this game, it plays a drum roll followed by a simple uh-huh, crash uh-huh, when Mario's uh-huh. butt yeah, hits yeah, the ground yeah. and the drum roll goes on longer the farther he falls. And it's it's delightful every single time that it happens. It's yeah, so man, good. it changes. Uh, like, the music is a little bit different, I believe, if you're Elephant Mario or yep, like if you're... It uh, it's, trombone it's starts playing. totally wild. Um, by the way, if you guys, Maddie, to your point about the animations and the aesthetics earlier, um, one of my favorite animations in the game so far and this is a game with just the most incredible animations you will ever see one of my favorites is if you're crouching in as an elephant um, (laughs) and then you swing and you swing your trunk he's just like boop 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 it's just this the crawling elephant animation where his little mustache sticks out and his hat covers his eyes and his butt is up in the air is so cute it's so when you there are levels where you go through doors you know the sort of doors in the back of the Yep. level that then you'll come out another door and when you go through his um elephant he gets stuck and has to like wiggle his butt too so and there are cute. all these little unique yeah unique Peach animations always has like to that wiggle so through the pipe and you get to see her little elephant bloomers wiggling and it's just mm-hmm. the most adorable thing i've ever seen i love how when she's crouching she looks almost like frustrated or like she's concentrating really hard in elephant mm-hmm. form i mean i think she does a version of that in human form too she's so expressive i mean Princess Peach is such a hilarious slapstick character to me, like the frying pan of Super Smash Brothers, like her energy. I love it. And I feel like they've really just embodied that in her facial expressions here where she's just like has the biggest eyes of surprise and then the like little tiny scrunch. I mean, I would have loved this as a kid. Like that's uh-huh. the other thing about it is that I'm like, oh, oh, I brought man. so much anim- animation to Mario games as a kid that wasn't present. But like now as a kid, I would just be like, oh my God, like it's all here. I feel like these are real characters that are like on a TV mm-hmm. show or something for me, you know? 
Yeah, I played yeah. it with my four-year-old a little bit. I think she's still a little too young because she's not quite figuring out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she doesn't so really cute, know how to use the controller, but yes, it's adorable. Yeah, it's it's definitely definitely a kid-friendly game. Um, one more thing on the music metaphor. I think that like the typical platforming structure is like the Nintendo kind of ethos is here's a, a concept we're going to introduce it to you in a, in a friendly way and then we're going to make it more elaborate over time and it really feels like you're starting with a verse and then you get to the chorus and then a verse and then the chorus and then you have the wonder flower mm-hmm. which is kind of like the bridge and the key changes yeah. <laughs> and you got a whole different uh-huh. whole different thing going on for a short amount of time and then you go back to the maybe another cor- chorus to figure it out to, to f- uh, finalize it all and none of the mm-hmm. stages ever wear out their welcome none of the stages are longer to finish than like five minutes max yeah. um like any good any good song any and i guess there's some good long songs any good punk rock yeah, there's song. no and i got a devita here though. yeah that's it's, true it's pretty it's just more pop punk really yeah <laughs> any good blink 182 song we can just exactly. say exactly it. it's it. a blink 182 <laughs> album yes i mean mm-hmm. I, th- these two coming out at the same time yeah is... there's a lot of good variety to the levels as well i find um like there are just most you know a lot of straightforward platforming levels where you go to the end and then you jump up the flagpole and mm-hmm. you beat the level um but there are a lot of other cool types of levels as well there are battle levels that yeah, are really fun mm-hmm, where you have mm-hmm. to clear rooms of enemies the first one that i did i think it's the first one that you come across was called fluff puff kerfuff mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. i think that speaks to Classic the names Mario-isms. of the levels in general Just all which around. are great and i love kerfuff as a, as a shortening for kerfuff <laughs> yeah, like oh, what's the kerfuff in here <laughs> So the fluff, 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 where you have to fight a bunch of enemies. Props to the Nintendo Treehouse, as always. Perfect. Um, Over, yes, they're so good at their jobs. Um, Over a series of rooms, you have to clear the rooms out. Um, There's a cool new ability. There are a couple of abilities that I think are new in this game. I'm no Mario expert, but I'll say them, and you can tell me if they are not new. Bubble Mario, Mm -hmm. is that new? Yeah. So Bubble Mario is is like Fireball Mario, but he throws bubbles that Mm -hmm. kill enemies. But also, if you're skilled, you throw them out, and then you can get one jump off of them. So you can use them to reach inaccessible places, which is very cool. (laughs) You can get more than one jump. You can shoot a bunch and then get several. Oh, well, yes. I mean, one jump. Yep. One jump per bubble, but yes, you can shoot right. multiple. If per you're bubbles. Kirk, you can only do one jump. But mm-hmm. right, well, I'm not very good. At, I'm not very good at Mario, as I've said. How many times have you died in this game, Kirk? Oh, oh like only uh, seven. Seven thousand. So many times. <laughs> um, well, I tried God. to, man. I, so it depends on the level, right? So you get a Dying star rating. Doesn't matter in Mario. It's fine. Yeah. You get a difficulty star rating for each level. You one do. or two, generally pretty or doable. Three. Um, oh no! I mean, one or two stars oh, means it's pretty grade. doable. Yes, um, three is going to be a little more challenging. That's more like boss levels. Then four is quite difficult. And I've done a few fours where I'm like, okay, now I'm getting into the Hollow Knight part of my brain, <laughs> and I have to really learn how to play this game. I have found that by doing those, I have improved significantly and am able to access that part of my brain that got good at other platformers and mm-hmm. have figured out those specific rhythms. So maybe I'll get there. The one that you, uh, the level that you referenced, Jason, where the blocks build according to the beat. This level, I have there, not there are a few is, of those, to be clear. Oh, well, yeah. the first one of those that's in the first world. Um, my God. So there are four 
uh, active at any time. Like there are four platforms active, so you have to keep moving with the rhythm. Yep. And you can't fall behind and you can't get too far ahead. And the tempo increases <laughs> as you move through the level as the platforms shrink. So, oh my gosh, it really is exacting <laughs> and difficult. <laughs> I don't want to alarm you, but that's not the tough one. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, I'm not that surprised. It was the first the one that I did. One yeah, you oh, come yeah. So the really tough one is. <laughs> and in, they actually get uh, easier. It's really anti Mario. They get easier as it goes. It's so weird. Like, by the end, it's just one block. <laughs> so you can you can access this special world, which is kind of like this super challenging, like, we're going to throw the gauntlet at you world. And in the special world, there's one of those that takes the same concept and is super, super tough. So it's like enjoy that. hero, like, level bajillion or whatever the heck people do. Then. Yeah, I appreciate how good. they let, like, the pacing of the game is kind of dictated by me. So it's yes. not exactly, it's that video game pacing thing where, like, I'm in control of it, but they are putting things in front of me in such an order that, like, I'm always able to pick something different. They even have levels called break time, yes. and it'll be, uh, there are some levels where you just have to find all of the hidden uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. these, uh, what are they called? They're, yeah, the, the they're like, like wonder coins things. or something. The they're seeds. special wonder coins. Seeds, right? No, uh, not no, the seeds. They're, they're called something else. A seed. Yeah. yeah. A coin leads to a seed. We all know this. Yes. <laughs> obvious. Clear logic. logic. So you have to get them yeah. all. But when you walk into the room, there is nothing sometimes visible at all. Oh, yeah. And so you have to start jumping and figure out where the hidden um, mm-hmm. blocks are. And those are just, there's no way to die, really. There's no, no enemies. No, you just have to keep looking. And if, hypothetically, it's too hard and you leave the level, you'll get a helpful little tooltip that's like, try playing it with a friend, <laughs> which is so mm-hmm. adorable. It's like the classic Mario style of, like, you didn't fail at this. You just need to try playing the game in a different way and, like, keep having fun in a different way. It's it's endlessly cute to me. Yeah, I should mention the multiplayer as well, which I haven't yes, messed around too me much either, with, but, but is really incredible. It um it allows you to play simultaneous with a bunch of other players. Uh-huh. You can see how the players who are playing at the same time as you are solving the puzzles and challenges that you're up against. So you can see maybe someone jumping to a hidden area of the level that you didn't know was there. Also, you can leave those little standees that you collect, which are these cardboard figures. You can leave those around levels for other people to find, much like, you're, say, Dark like Souls. To be clear, <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about the online multiplayer, not yes. the the. Couch I'm sorry. Co-op yes, the There's online also multiplayer. There's local co-op, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm talking about the online multiplayer. So you can leave these standees laying around, and those can work just like in a Dark Souls game, where you'll see that someone has written a note on some. Mm-hmm. area that you thought was inaccessible and that just tells you oh so I can get there and that's really all you need to know sometimes in this game to start trying you know your gears start turning as you think okay well they put their standee up there so how the hell did they get up there and that alone is a really really cool um, avenue for multiplayer to explore in this game that's something I've barely done but is another whole element of this game and another kind of variable um, area of difficulty uh, attenuation, I guess, that you can do for yourself. And I mm-hmm. really appreciate that about this game. You can make it as hard or as easy. I wouldn't say easy, but as you can really reduce the challenge. A couple other ba- badges I should mention, like there's one that just spits you out of pits. Like if you fall into a pit, it just knocks you back out and you don't die. Yeah, I think one time, right? Only once. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a free save if you're playing a hard level. Or one, the one that I use a lot gives me just like an extra high jump with a little float kind of like uh, Peach had in Doki Doki Panic, like mm-hmm. that That kind of, you can kind of hang in the air for a minute, which is just helpful almost all the time. And mm-hmm. like I said, I'm not that great at Mario games, so I really like that one. So anyways, a lot of variability and customizability in this game, which I think is 
uh, really, really awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, the badges are really interesting and make me want to replay some levels to just to like experiment yeah. with fun. different badges and see how that changes things, which is a cool, uh, just another another cool element to this game. Yeah. Also, you can play as Yoshi or what are the? There's like another Nabbit. Yoshi type. Nabbit. Um, and. You're, and if you're playing local multiplayer, the other players can ride on you. Mm-hmm. And Yoshi, I believe, like can't take damage, right? Or I think can't die. So you could team up with, say, like a, a child or like a friend or someone. And like you could be the one to take on the platforming challenges and they could just ride on your back while you jump through the hard parts. So there's also like that element to it mm-hmm. as well. It's a very modular game. Like it's very flexible in a lot of of cool ways that sort of entice your creativity with how you want to play it. Yeah, and it's something, so it's interesting because, so like the way that it works for people who haven't played it yet is it's not a super linear progression where you have to go from level one to two to three to four the way that that the old school Mario games used to work up until three, I believe. Um, It's more of like uh, a non-linear world map type thing where you're walking on this big kind of, 3D world map and you can go in any direction and then you can pick levels from there. Right. And because some of them, like you you might get to a new little hub and there are like four, four new levels that you can explore. And some of them are going to be easier than others. And to the only gates are kind of like a Wonder Seed requirement that is pretty low. Like you might only yeah. need four Wonder Seeds to get to the next area and then eight after that or something like that. So you can get Wonder Seeds from only the easy levels if you want and not even bother with the really hard ones. So it is really mm-hmm. I mean an approachable game I think for yeah. players even like Kirk Hamilton who might be able to beat Returnal with only dying seven <laughs> times but 2D platformers they just Jumping. cannot compete. It's a very different instrument you know I can I can play guitar but I can't play the, uh, the oboe. It's true. We have so few opportunities to drag Kirk for being bad at anything you know it's true. just yeah. let us have this you know it's funny this is another thing where I'm like is that different but it doesn't feel that way to me because Kirby games have been doing this exact format for years and years and years of like this semi-open world map where you can choose anything and kind of play stages in different orders if you so choose. Robobot wasn't that way, but I can't remember the name of the most recent Kirby game. They all have functionally the same name. They're all like Kirby and the sparkly teapot. It's like who who knows? But they they've been no, doing Mario like games that. have been having world maps since before yeah, Kirby. It's, it's existed. a Nintendoism, yeah, I mean, right? It's a, it's amazing. I love it. The world it. map is very similar to 3D World, the the Wii U 3D world. Yeah. And like having the chance to choose not only difficulty, but like which power up makes the game easier for you is like another layer of modularity that Kirby kind of does and that this game does that I think is really great. Like Kirby games also have often the opportunity of like go into this one room and choose between these power ups and then you'll go into this level already having one. And whenever Mario games do that, I'm like, yes. Finally, <laughs> this is all I want. I just want firepower or whatever it is for this one level that I don't mm-hmm. normally have that in, but it's just going to make it easier for me personally. <laughs> That's how yeah, I would like the to battle. Beat the this battle level. arenas do that. The battle yes. arenas are and it's specifically great. It's like great. they give you options. You can be elephant, yep. you can be fire, Mario. Whatever. Or you can be like, I want two fires. Like when I lose my fire, mm-hmm. I want a backup fire or two mm-hmm. elephants or one or the other. Which is great. Yeah, it does. There, this game is very much like it's very referential to old Mario games. I mean, even that having kind of like a, a backup storage of that—that's a very that's like 
all the way back to Super Mario World was the game that originated that concept of like I'm gonna press a button and then get access to the, mm-hmm. the, the back backup power up mushroom. Um, yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of musical motifs that are references to old Mario games, which is super fun to listen to. Kirk, I imagine you would have a, a blast doing a strong songs in this and like going back to previous Koji Kondo works. Mm. Koji Kondo, of course, I mean he's the original composer of Mario and Zelda, and is back once again for this game. Has been added for thirty plus years. There are a lot. It's worth noting i mean one of the reasons that this game is so delightful and masterly masterfully made is that it's made by some of the same people who have been in nintendo for 30 years and worked on the original mario brothers uh i was going through the moby games credits list for mario wonder and just like was randomly clicking on names and it's like oh yes this person is credited on games and nintendo going back to the 90s oh yes this person going to the 2000s like everybody who's worked on this game is just like decades of experience making Nintendo games and it very much shows. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there is a, uh, I did a strong songs on the original Mario theme and it's always fun to hear when echoes of that come out and they do the Calypso thing really well still, I think oh, yeah. like those kinds of grooves, but yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of very fun music and I'm sure some references that I don't totally get. There's also a kind of novelty to the world and to the way that it feels to move through it. I mean, the narrative setup of this game is that Bowser turns up and steals a wonder seed and transforms into a castle, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's the wonder seeds yeah, are basically the that? infinite improbability so drive <laughs> from Douglas Adams universe. <laughs> Which by the way, I mean props props to the to Nintendo for not having him steal Princess Peach and having him exactly. turn no, no, into no, a no, castle. Not only, yeah. no not only that strange set up like he's sitting there this Bowser castle in the middle of the map the whole time while you're playing there is a level that you play through where you don't have to beat a boss to get the whatever it's called the great seed at the end it's just like uh you know this guy just lives there and he's like oh this is just a trial to see if you can achieve enlightenment like I have so you have to get through the trials and then you'll get you the seed and at the end I kept expecting Bowser Jr. to turn up and be like haha here I am boss fight time and then he did it and the guy was like good job you did it here's the seed and I was like I don't think I've ever had that happen in a Mario game before like it it kind of breaks the formula at times which for this series that's so known for being formulaic you know even while of course it's always experimenting I think that's kind of remarkable and sort of in line with how it feels to play the game in general this sense of just like ah, like the developers are in on the joke like they're willing to just break the game open and just totally turn it into this freak out experience where like who cares what happens there's one wonder sea level where it just starts raining invincibility stars and so it's like a star you know like a like basically shooting stars falling from the sky and you just run through the level and there's like infinite invincibility everywhere and it's just you're grabbing it and like killing everything because like whatever and the whole world is like blowing up around you it's like it's the kind of thing that you would see in some weird modded you know version of Mario that you can really only watch on YouTube and instead it's actually happening in the game and they're doing that over and over again so they're very willing to like break their own formulas Mm -hmm. and experiment with their own ideas in such playful ways um yeah i i love it yeah i mean to be fair that that's been like the idea of gimmicky stages and breaking the rules and like being able to subvert expectations that's been in mario since the very beginning i mean since the like the the original super mario brothers like you see these um you're kind of you're in this underground labyrinthian area and you see these roofs and you think well okay it's a roof i shouldn't be able to get above there but if you take the time to experiment and jump above the roof you'll be rewarded with a secret 
billion coins. Passage, a warp whistle. No, you'll be rewarded with a warp whistle that lets you skip oh. ahead to a new world, which has always been a thing. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I have kind of two two more questions for you guys. There are two more topics I want to bring up. One is, is there anything you guys don't like in this game? Because I was, I was struggling to think of anything I dislike about it, but curious to hear if there's anything you guys don't like. Hmm. Too good? I struggle. There's too many games this <laughs> Is year. It I don't have good? time for this. <laughs> I This wasn't on my personal to-do list, and now it has to be. Like, I don't know. But Kirk, you were talking. Go ahead. <laughs> I struggle a little bit with some of the just physical controls. This is something I was talking about recently, just with like oh, thumb like pain or whatever. Yeah. It's kind of stretched out more. I'm actually feeling better this week just playing the game. But a lot of the game, I'm sure I could remap some things, but I don't get the sense that it's possible to remap others. For example, swimming requires just constant button tapping, which is sort of hard on my thumb. And also, just because you spend so much of the game running and jumping, it re- I like do a kind of lateral thing, I'm sure everyone does this, where you lay your thumb across the inside face button and then jump with the inside of your thumb because you have to be pressing two face buttons at once, essentially. And I think you can remap some of those. I'm sure you at least I think you can on a system level, but I haven't. I've just been playing it that way. And that's a little bit of a struggle just because like anytime I'm sort of, especially swimming, kind of mashing the button, I have that feeling of like, you know, I wish there was a way to just turn that off and just hold down the button to swim because like I don't want to be doing this. But that's a, a, a I guess a minor gripe, but a gripe nonetheless. So no, it's one. legit. Yeah. You, you can't remap the face buttons very easily it's kind of a classic nintendo thing where you can change them to be a and b which is the way i prefer it for for jump and and run fast or uh what a and x i guess for the uh, the, whatever way no one knows actually it's 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 not a no one knows what the face buttons are (laughs) on the nintendo controller it's not a known fact there are other buttons besides a and b but who knows what they are Uh, it's just like it's (laughs) crazy it's like just like with tears of the kingdom where it's like this doesn't have button remapping despite everything you can just switch two pairs of buttons or whatever it is and it's worth saying like that is reflective i think of a broader accessibility failing that nintendo still has has. especially compared to uh what sony is doing and Mm -hmm. what we were just talking about with spider-man sony is going out of their way to add all this accessibility stuff um and uh it's just totally absent from this game, like from most Nintendo games. And I think that is a problem. Like, for all of I the agree. accessibility within the game and the yeah, ways that it's say. so modular, I just I wish Nintendo would finally decide to prioritize that. Because, I, you know, I'm, you know, I have my thumb hurts and whatever. Like, it's a fairly small thing. I can work around it. But there are all kinds of other things that I think people with uh, more more serious disabilities would really struggle with. Yeah, like this just locks somebody out if they have a more significant hand pain. You know, it it keeps the game from being enjoyable for as many people as it could be. It is too bad. Um, One more final thought uh, before we take a break and come back. Um, So in 2017, Nintendo's first year of the Switch started off with Zelda in March and uh, ended with Mario in October. Now, 2023, what is likely the last full year of just the Switch before we get to the Switch's successor, we have Zelda in March and Mario in October. Quite Mm. Quite a full circle moment. Interesting. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> it's incredible that Nintendo has pulled off this one-two punch again it's and crazy. made two like bona fide game of the year candidate level, just like incredible 
games. I just don't know how they do it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Not I, letting people this, go it's... every six months. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure that helps. Hmm. It's just, there is a, there is an amount of creativity happening there and that's being rewarded there. That's just so unusual. I mean, this is just how you do it. Playing this game. I just continually find myself thinking like, my God, how, how is the, how are they on this level? How do other people making video games just, I mean, fall so short, I guess, but that, that feels critical of ordinary mortals. I mean, but it, but it is that feeling like, why isn't every video game like this? Like, mm-hmm. why isn't every video game just like immediately delightful and constantly reinventing itself and so exciting? And of course, we know the answer to that is that it's really, really hard to do that. Mm-hmm. But playing the game, it feels so effortless that it's easy to just sit there and think, I wish all video games were like this. And uh, Tears of the Kingdom feels the same way, where it's like, yeah. oh, right, like, you can make a game like this, too. So it's incredible. I mean, they no one does it like Nintendo does it. They mm-hmm. just are still the masters of this. And it's uh, both games are, uh, really all four games are evidence of that. Mm-hmm. Super Mario Wonder, why can't all video games be <laughs> like this? That's a good way to put a pin on this conversation. So why don't we take a break and then come back with one more thing? People say not to judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree. Which is why here on Just the Zoo of Us, we judge them by so much more. We rate animals out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics, taking into consideration each animal's true strengths, like a pigeon's ability to tell a Monet from a Picasso or a polar bear's ability to play basketball. Guest experts like biologists, ecologists, and more join us to share their unique insight into the animal's world. Listen with friends and family of all ages on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get podcasts. It's the final week of Co-Optober. I'm Kira Gowan, Ad Operations Specialist, and I'm here with... Daniel Barwella, Technology and Data Specialist. To cap off National Co-Op Month, we're sharing how worker-owned co-ops can benefit their communities. Read about it in our newsletter or on social media at MaxFunHQ. We're also trying to do our part. We're volunteering at our local food bank this week, and we encourage you to volunteer in your area, too. On Friday, we're announcing the donation that you helped raise in the post-Max Fun Drive sticker sale, going to five food banks across the U.S. And we want to make sure you know that this is your last chance to get our limited edition Co-op Launch Crew merch. Grab a pin, hat, shirt, or hoodie before they disappear at the end of the month. Details on merch, resources for volunteering, and all things Co-Optober can be found at MaximumFun.org slash Co-Optober. That's C-O-O-P-T-O-B-E-R. Thank you so much for your support and have a great Co-Optober. And we are back. Kirk, Maddie, it is time for one more thing. Maddie, kick us off. What's your one more thing? My one more thing is a podcast I've been listening to. I'm almost completely done with the archives. And then then what shall I do? It's called If Books Could Kill. And mm. it's hosted by two guys, one of whom is Michael Hobbs, used to be one of the co-hosts on You're Wrong About, another podcast I've listened <laughs> to all the archives of and really enjoyed. Basically the godfather of indie podcasting, I kind would say. Of, yeah, <laughs> like also kind of the godfather of explaining complex sociopolitical nuanced issues mm-hmm. in, a, in a way that makes me rethink everything about my entire life. Michael Hobbs, he, he's, he's done it again, folks. And his co-host, 
Peter Shamshiri, I, I don't know him at all. Apparently he co-hosts a, a show about how the Supreme Court sucks. I, I'd kind of like to listen to it, maybe when I run out of this this podcast. So it's called If Books Could Kill. Of That's course, the you, five, it's a four bad book. Yeah, good. it's called The 5-4 Podcast. But forget that. We're talking about If Books Could Kill, <laughs> the only show I have listened to. And it, so I, I heard this title. Don't think I knew Michael Hobbs was hosting it at the time. And I was just like, oh, great. Another thing where they read something terrible or watch something terrible and they, they lampoon it. You know, there's a billion podcasts like this. Some of them are excellent, but it's very hard to kind of like you know, make your way in that arena. So I just kind of moved on. And then eventually I saw something about how it's it's not just like a books podcast or like a sort of comedy lampooning of, of bad art podcast. It's specifically about kind of debunking fad books, like pop culture books that were everywhere, like The Secret or like Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 Hours book that I, I can't remember what it's called, but it may as well be called what I just said, because that's how everybody remembers it. <laughs> and uh, books of that nature where you just Outliers. hear about them Outliers. a lot. Yes, of course. And you're like, is that really true? Or is that just something people say at cocktail parties and everybody nods Turns out the answer other? is no. No. And it, <laughs> For it's, almost all But of it's these. amazing to hear these. And yeah. it's also delightful to hear Michael and Peter just be so exhausted and angry, but in a fun way at whatever 500 page crap they read where they're like, I just need to read you this paragraph. It makes no sense or that, or it will make sense. And they'll be like, didn't that sound really smart and good? Well, every fact in it is wrong. And here's why. And there's just something about debunking podcasts that just, just makes you feel extra double smart. Kind of like how all these books are supposed to make you feel, but then you get to listen to a podcast where you get to say, well, actually, at cocktail parties, which I would never do. That's the other thing the co-hosts do a lot is talk about how at cocktail parties they re now refuse to engage with people because they're like, yeah. we're insufferable now. We now know why all of these fun facts are wrong and we can't have conversations anymore. <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah. great. It's great show. I love this show. I love Peter Shimshiri. I think he's, he's so, so hilarious. Funny. 5-4 is a great podcast, but I just think he is hysterical. I hadn't really listened to that show. He's very funny. And I love his, um, he has a very New York accent that comes yes. out when he's right when, when he's, he's mad. when he's impersonating someone. He, his Brooklyn accent, comes and it's out. his real accent but it's so funny because just ordinarily he's not speaking with an accent and then you hear him get more and more frustrated with mm -hmm. like neil strauss's the game or whatever and he starts going full mm -hmm. new york and it's so that's how you know peter's on one yeah their <laughs> episodes on dating on dating advice like the game are really good yep. they did one on rich dad poor dad that which is a book one. that i had never even heard of <laughs> and crazy. there a lot of times they'll be doing some book from yeah the 80s or that i just don't know like that yeah. and that's a really really funny one uh, you never heard of rich dad no, and I, I guess it's really I'd famous. I heard of I it, but I didn't it. know the the deal with it. I mean, this is a great podcast yeah. for that too, where you're like, I've heard this book title a lot. What yeah, was what's that the claiming? Deal with this? It's yeah, been yeah, interesting yeah. too. I'm caught up on it. I've been listening since the start. I think my sister told me about it, and um, I, I, you know, Michael Hobbs is great. I'll listen to any podcast that guy makes, and. Um, they have a kind of unified theory coming together. You know how on Just King things, they're kind of getting a unified theory of Stephen King? Uh -huh. It's sort of similar with these guys, only it's like a unified theory of the kind of grifter yeah, like 90, 2000 like yeah. books. Yeah, and they're all kind of the same, and they start to reference one another. And also, they have a, a very unified theory of David Brooks that will make it very hard <laughs> to bite your tongue the next time a relative of yours is like, I read this David Brooks column, and he said, and I just have to be like, nope, I'm not going to remember the episode well enough to get into this effectively so i'm just gonna like <laughs> nod and move along 
<laughs> but um, anyways, I, I co-sign your recommendation. It's a great podcast. Yeah, cool. it's called If Books Could Kill, and it, it's a podcast. Check it out. Kirk, what's your one more thing? My one more thing is a show that Emily and I watched that I had not even heard of until last week. We started it, and then we kind of devoured the whole thing. It's called Deadlock. And it's on Amazon Prime. This is an Australian... With an H. Uh, yes, with an H. This is an Australian comedy murder mystery Australian show. ambassador Kirk Hamilton. <laughs> yes, it is extremely Australian. And having recently been there and gotten to know uh, many more Australians, I think I have a better appreciation now for the Australianness of this show, which is, I think, a very enjoyable thing about it. I would describe it a little bit um, like a... A uh, largely female cast version of Hot Fuzz, but Australian mm. with a um, more slightly more serious murder, but just as many jokes. This show is hilariously funny, but also has a pretty high body count. It's pretty bloody. There's a lot of actual murder, and it has a pretty great mystery. We were guessing until the very end about who did it. We had Love no that. idea who it was. And it's a very complex sort of small town mystery with a million red herrings and possible culprits. It's very, very good. So this show is uh, set in, I think it's a fictional town, but it's in the town of Deadlock in Tasmania, which is a remote, a pretty rural area and island to the south of Australia, kind of south of Sydney and Melbourne. And um, typically thought of as like a very rural area, but I think it's like being gradually gentrified. And the town of Deadlock, the sort of central cultural conflict there is there's like the old boys of the town who were kind of, you know, the working class guys. And then there are a bunch of new people from the city. A whole bunch of um, queer people have come down from Sydney. So it's like at this burgeoning arts, very queer friendly town. A lot of lesbians, as they say, over and over and over again. <laughs> so the main character is Dulcie Collins, who is a cop um, who with her wife has moved from Sydney to deadlock and and it's kind of been a sleepy town and then of course there's a murder and she has to kind of become a murder investigator again and then she's joined by a detective from up north from a Darwin up in up in northern Australia named Eddie Redcliffe who's also a woman but is playing the role of the like dick swinging right, yeah. like detective who's, the, <laughs> who's like, like totally out of control guy who who does yeah. who's questioning the newcomer city city type and I'll say to anyone watching this, when Eddie shows up, at first it'll be like, oh, my God, this person is completely out of control. Like, I can't stand her. What is her problem? Like, that's the early dynamic is very much like Dulcie is in control trying to solve this murder. And Eddie is just totally out of out of control. Mm -hmm. And then they start, of course, to slowly work together. And it's very much like an odd couple cop mystery. And it's so funny. It's written and created by two women who are known as the Kates in Australia. And I gather are kind of well known. Their names are Kate McCartney and Kate McLennan. And I think those are their real names, McCartney and McLennan. Amazing. Like Lennon Perfect. and McCartney. Wow. I, 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 I almost can't Kate. believe that. So the they're Kate comedy mix. writers, <laughs> the Kates, and they've, they've made some comedy uh, projects. I think this is their biggest like sort of dramatic murder mystery series. It's so great. There's this really just this disconnect between the way it looks. It's like that really gray color grading. It looks like The mm. Killing, that show. If you <laughs> oh, ever watched I've that. seen that like, show. It looks like it's going to be really serious, but then it's just then constantly it's hilarious. hilarious. I'm like gonna watch Everyone just so vulgar and funny. It's absolutely terrific. I think you would both love it. Do you need subtitles? Is it, are the accents pretty thick? Some people have watched it with subtitles. We didn't, and it was fine. There's a lot of slang. You'll kind of pick it up. I think with subtitles, you'd pick up more. Mm -hmm. um, and it would probably be easier to keep track of everything because it is a very complex 
narrative. You get to know everyone in the town and all of their pasts and their relationships, and that's a fun part Better of the kind of, of figuring all. it out. Right. There's a, a really mysterious constellation of people to keep straight, but it's really, really good. I really recommend it. It's very silly. It's very funny. It's sometimes very serious, and uh, we were totally sucked in. So that's called Deadlock. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, great show. Sounds good. My one more thing is also a show. It's a show on Netflix called The Fall of the House of Usher. And this has been getting some buzz. It just came out a couple of weeks ago. So I'm sure most people have heard about it in some way or another. But uh, this is a show. It's an eight episode miniseries. Uh, created by Mike Flanagan, who uh, also did in the past. He's like a big-time horror film TV maker. He did Midnight Mass. He did The Haunting of uh, Hill House. Um, he's adapted some Stephen King stuff. He was born, hilariously, mm-hmm. in Salem, Massachusetts, of all places. There's um, only one job so, you can get, and it's it's horror movie and TV director. Right. Exactly. Your, your future you is real. Exactly. That's, that's it. You're, you're set in stone in your life. Um, so this show, it's really interesting. It's, it's basically Basically, it's like inspired by all these different Edgar Allan Poe stories and poems. And it's basically like an anthology of Edgar Allan Poe stuff from The Raven, uh, The Obvious to like and, and like The Telltale Heart to like more obscure stuff. Um, like the black cat or whatever it is. I don't, I don't, I'm not a Poe expert, so I don't actually know what's obscure and what's not. But it's it's all Edgar Allan Poe. And the premise is that it's about this billionaire family um, called the Ushers, who are the magnates of this pharmaceutical company that sells pills um, that kill that that are painkillers that are mm, highly addictive. Like, it's like the Sacklers, the Sacklers mixed with the Kardashians. Yeah. The Sacklers <laughs> mixed with the Kardashians is a good way to describe it. Great. Also very heavy heavily inspired by Succession. Um, yes. the, the best yep. way to describe this show is really Succession, but horror. Because mm-hmm. there's this gothic undertone and supernatural elements and horror elements to it all. Because the premise is that um, it's kind of set on these on, on, a f- on three different parallel timelines. And the one that you're mm-hmm. first introduced to is kind of, uh, let's call it the future, where this uh, FBI agent slash investigator is interviewing the patron saint of the Usher family, Roderick, who's A district played- attorney, I think think but district attorney played phenomenally by bruce greenwood um and he is telling the uh interrogator about how all of his children died and then we go back in time and we see how like how all that unfolded in kind of the let's call it the present and then we also see the past where we see roderick as a young boy kind of um first as a kid and then eventually as a young adult played by mike saracen himself or matt saracen himself zach gilford um, yeah, from yeah. Friday Night Lights and he we kind of we learn how he wound up in charge of this pharmaceutical company and what he did to get there and so it's really interesting watching all these tracks because um, the bulk of the series the, the kind of middle six episodes each of those follows a different kid of his and we know that they're going to die at the end and so it's interesting following that track and seeing how they're going to die but then in the past track we also have this big overarching mystery of like what how did he wind up in charge of this company and from the beginning he kind of alludes to doing this really horrible thing but we don't find out what that is for a while I'm actually I'm not done with the end I'm only six episodes in out of eight so I don't actually know so what happens the there end. you're right close to the, the end the, the climactic but not quite there stretch. yet um, and so uh, we kind of you watch all these things get all these stories are told in parallel in really interesting and compelling ways and then there is the big X factor, and that is a woman, a mysterious woman played by Carla Gugino. 
um, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, who is a phenomenal actor, and she appears, I won't say exactly, I won't say what her deal is, or, or, or how she appears, or anything like that, but she appears throughout. She haunts this show, and appears quite a few times in quite a few different situations, and I'll just leave it at that. Um, but she is connected to Roderick Usher, and clearly has an impact on his fate in one way or another. So yeah, I mean, succession, but horror, I think is the best way to describe it, and like, if you're, <laughs> if you're not sold by that, you you might not care about the show, but if you are and you want to see a phenomenal piece of work that is just like incredibly well acted and well written and well performed, there's this amazing monologue that Roger Crusher gives <laughs> about <laughs> lemons and and if life gives you lemons that uh, that is worth watching even if you're not interested in the show, Google that because it's really truly an incredible an incredible thing. And yeah, I mean this show, I, I'm I don't think it's going to win any awards or anything. It's not like super subtle storytelling um it's very in your face and blunt about a lot of its themes especially it's kind of like anti-capitalist anti-sackler anti-climate change whatever themes um and it's a lot more blunt in its ways than even something like succession but it's still just very compelling and entertaining and well done and the acting i think really um brings it to a new level just like the performances especially by bruce greenwood the uh roger gusher and carla Giugino. Gugino. Um, but really everybody is just is just great. And then one more thing real quick, just to introduce you to the six the six children of oh, Roger Gusher, because they're all such yeah, well they're all such like they're they're all kind all of, by different mothers, right? So they're all very oh, wow. different looking, well, very different. Not types all. Of the first two the well, first two okay. are the same mother. Um yes, the rest yes. are different mothers. But yeah, there's six of them. They're all kind of if we're playing on succession, they're all kind of Roman. They're all different types of Roman. Different types of Roman. Okay, just to go through them real quick. <laughs> one is one is a the youngest of them all um, is this kind of twenty something Lothario like hedonistic drug sex addict. One is a professional gamer. Um, one is <laughs> one is a PR flack who has no soul and just exists mm-hmm. to spin things and has this great silver hair. Um, yes. One is a. Uh, black lesbian uh, scientist mm. um, who has her own kind of <laughs> but inner also demons. I'm sure, I'm sure a wonderful person. A wonderful sure. person. <laughs> um, the, fifth, the fifth is this uh, lady who wants to be the next Gwyneth Paltrow and is bringing a, uh, building a health brand and oh can only get off by watching her husband recreate with sex workers like scenes of, of, of like family dinners and like other wholesome happy household oh. acts. Holy shit. Um, and, I haven't gotten to that yet. And, That's crazy. And, and the sixth, and the sixth, the sixth child is um, kind of, kind of actually the Kendall of the family. He's oh, the fail yeah, son. He's very he's total fail son. son. Yeah. He's the okay. eldest boy. He's, he's the eldest boy, but gets, gets a little bit more Roman-y as time goes on mm. for reasons mm. that I won't spoil, and and has his own twisted depravity and descent and stuff. Anyway, just a phenomenal show. I've really, really enjoyed it so far. Once again, it's called nice. the, the Fall of the House of Usher. A little bit of a, a clunker title, but fantastic show. Yeah, named nice. after the Poe story of yes, the same exactly. 
game, so they were yes. kind of stuck with that one, I guess. <laughs> Everything. Oh, man, I haven't even mentioned. There's a friggin' lawyer played by Mark Hamill who just yes. is oh, like... Oh, of course, yes. I've seen Mark Hamill in the, on, the promo Oh, my shots. God. He is just incredible. Just it up. Hamilling he, it up. Well, he's like, <laughs> he's channeling his inner, like, Joker from Arkham, like, going full. Yep. Except he's, he's... You really see the range of his acting in a way. Well, he's, like, that, frighteningly quiet, at least in the oh, first yeah. episode, which I've only seen, which yeah. is very fun. You're waiting for him to unleash it, because you know he can. No, yeah. no, no, no. I, I should say Joker, it, it's just the voice of the Joker, like the Joker voice. But like um, when he's being more than scary Just like quiet. that. Yeah, that kind of the intonations. He's not at all like the Joker as a character. Um, he's very Unless quiet. He stays quiet. Unless in the final two episodes, he maybe, becomes that's the true. Joker? Unless he becomes, well, that's how it ends, yeah. <laughs> he's Pym, right? The Pym Reaper, they call um, him. Arthur Pym. Arthur Pym. Another, just another uh, uh, Poe reference to like some novel he wrote. Everything, sure. it, literally everything you see in the show is just a Poe reference, a yeah. girl Poe reference. So if you're like an a girl Alan Poe fan, you will love this thing. All right, that, that cool. is it for this week's episode. Uh, we will be back. Well, if you're a Max Fun member, you will get a bonus episode early next week, and then we will be back for another standard episode, as always, next Thursday. See you both next week. Yep, see you next week. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org slash join. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.